Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and I'm here in Valencia, Spain. There's pigeons almost knocking over my camera right now. This is my book review of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So I read this book when I was like 19 or 20 years old, and I've heard that this is a book that kind of grows with you. So I decided to read it again, and honestly, I think I actually got more out of it the first time I read it. I'll explain why later. So like I said, I read this book about a decade ago, and since then, I have done a lot of thinking and a lot of doing, but I have not grown rich. Sorry to disappoint you if you're hoping to see a video blog about Think and Grow Rich by someone who's become really wealthy, made a ton of money as a result of this book, you'll have to move on to another video. However, where I think this book has really ROI for me is in rich life experiences. So I've spent years now traveling the world, living in a bunch of interesting places. I have, I have control of my time. I spend almost 100% of my time doing what I want to do, which is pretty remarkable. Not a lot of people can say that. The application of this book has helped me to find meaningful work, to find that intersection of what I'm good at, uh, what I'm passionate about, what the world really needs, and what people are willing to compensate me really handsomely for it's resulted in me having a bunch of like having the relationships I want with like a real diversity of people with with I said in a, another podcast recently I said that life is a continual cycle of building new relationships and letting old relationships go and as a result of applying the things in this book I've gotten really good at that and finally there's two things that I really value in life, which the application of principles in this book has given me in abundance, which is an adventurous life of novelty, and secondly, being a thinker. Ever since I was really young, I knew I wanted to be a, a writer, a philosopher. I knew I wanted to be a person whose work, whose full-time work and dedication was to thinking. And with the application of the principles in this book, I've accomplished that. There's some things in the book that I think Napoleon Hill was actually wrong about. For example, he makes some inaccurate predictions like Crooners and light chatter artists who now pollute the air with wisecracks and silly giggles will go the way of all light timbers and their places will be taken by real artists who interpret carefully planned programming which have been designed to service the minds of men as well as provide entertainment. Well, Napoleon Hill would be spinning in his grave now if he could see how bad art has gotten, if he could watch a Nicki Minaj music video, if he could see a, a rude, uh, over-the-top comedian perform, or if he saw hundreds of people who had paid high-ticket prices in a nightclub cheering on a DJ just for pressing buttons on their laptop. He was obviously a capitalist, but there's some passages of the book that I think reveal some proto-socialism. For example, the relationship of employer and employee or of leader and follower in the future will be one of mutual cooperation based upon an equitable division of the profits of business. In the future, the relationship of employer and employee will be more like a partnership than it has been in the past. He also writes, in the future, business will be conducted by methods that will require no pressure. I don't know how you would quantify how cutthroat the business world is now versus 
then I guess now businessmen don't hire mercenaries to break employee strikes anymore and there's a whole lot more self-employed people but i think that napoleon hill like a lot of great thinkers was a little bit deluded and a little bit unrealistic about this idea of a totally fair totally benign business world that was coming in the future and I think this is just contrary to human nature. He also made some, uh, he also had some, I think, unrealistic optimism about the future of journalism writing. New leaders will be required in the field of journalism. Newspapers of the future to be conducted successfully must be divorced from special privilege and relieved from the subsidy of advertising. They must cease to be organs of propaganda for the interests which patronize their advertising columns. So again, he would be spinning in his grave if he could see the nepotism that typifies the mainstream media today. This book is rife with pseudo-spirituality. Moreover, men know that this living, pulsating, vibrating energy which permeates every atom of matter and fills every niche of space connects every human brain with every other human brain. What reason have men to believe that this same energy does not connect every human brain with infinite intelligence? And the phrase, Infinite intelligence appears over 40 times in the book. Faith is the only agency through which the cosmic force of infinite intelligence can be harnessed and used by men. The notion that there is this ethereal, non-human intelligence that inspires invention and genius is interesting. Uh, it's this idea that uh, great writers and thinkers have espoused for a long time that there's that there's some other intelligence out there that uh, inspires us and that it's not just a combination of hard work cleverness and inherent human ability however this is fundamentally a non-falsifiable idea you can't prove it or disprove it, so it really is pretty woo-woo stuff. Napoleon Hill also states, Mental telepathy is a reality. Thoughts pass from one mind to another, voluntarily, whether or not this fact is recognized by either the person releasing the thoughts or the persons who pick up those thoughts. There may actually be some scientific basis for this one. You might remember in the computer game Rainbow Six, the commandos would have like this heartbeat sensor and they could use it to detect the, the terrorists, the hostages, the, the other people that were around them in the level. And this is based upon a real life device that's used by special forces and it works by detecting the electromagnetic fields which are given off by the heart. And humans do seem to, uh, along with actually some other animals, we do seem to have a keen ability to pick up what the electromagnetic heart fields of those around us are saying. And this biophenomenon is uh, likely responsible for something that uh, you've probably experienced, almost, almost everyone ex has experienced this, where uh, there is information that is uh, quite acutely transmitted in a nonverbal, uh, completely uh, in obvious way about the emotional state of another person to you for when you sense the emotions of those around you without some obvious clue. There's a lot of emphasis in the book on faith. Faith is the starting point of all accumulation of riches. The chapter on faith was maybe a little bit difficult for me because I'm not a big fan of faith, actually. I'm an empiricist and a skeptic, largely. The most interesting chapter of the book is, I think, on sex. There are other mind stimulants, some of which have been listed, but no one of them, nor all of them combined, can equal the driving power of sex. 
Among the greatest and most powerful of these stimuli is the urge of sex. When harnessed and transmuted, this driving force is capable of lifting men into that higher sphere of thought which enables them to master the sources of worry and petty annoyance which beset their pathway on the lower plane. I'll say something that will perhaps be a little bit controversial. I think that this chapter is just for men. I can't think of any way that sex, that sex transmutation, that great phrase, which I assume Napoleon Hill invented, I have no idea how that would work for women. Maybe someone can explain that to me. Love, romance, and sex are all emotions capable of driving men to heights of super achievement. Love is the emotion which serves as a safety valve and ensures balance, poise, and constructive effort. He talks a lot about love in the book, and it should be noted that the definition of love has changed a lot since this book was written. The original definition of love goes something like this. It's, a, it's an intense emotional commitment to something greater than oneself, family, country, God, whatever, that is expressed through acts of servitude, through action. Fast forward to today, and the definition of love is like this this retarded, intoxicated feeling that we fall into and out of randomly. It's this uh, insatiable desire that we have for someone or something that makes us act really irrationally. It's this thing that we say to other people almost completely just for our own emotional validation. So if you do read this book, as he's talking about love, think about that original definition as opposed to the modern day, what it means in modern day parlance. And I think modern day love is really does quite a bit more harm than it does good. On persistence. The better portion of all sales I have made were made after the people had said no. This reminded me of what's called the four times rule, which is something that a pickup artist came up with. And it basically means that you are allowed to approach and reapproach someone that you find attractive as much as four times, which I really think is a, a pretty good rule for life, right? That if there's something you, you really want that you should, be, uh, you should be persistent in asking for it as many as four times, if, if not more in a lot of instances. On education, he would have been totally dismayed with all of the, the free education that's so wildly available today. He advocates that we should pay cash for our personal development. Being asked to pay whether the student makes good grades or poor, has the effect of causing one to follow through with the course when he would otherwise drop it. He goes on to criticize the public library system. There's one astounding weakness to this marvelous system. It's free, which provides an interesting commentary on a modern-day hot-button political issue. What would a Napoleon Hill thought of free college. Well, based upon these quotes, I think it's pretty clear that he would have regarded it as a totally asinine notion. On failure, Napoleon Hill lists 30 common causes of failure, and there's a couple that really jumped out at me, one of which Napoleon Hill also emphasizes. Wrong selection of mate in marriage. This is a most common cause of failure. If you've ever read the classic book, The Millionaire Next Door, in which they really exhaustively analyze the, the average millionaire in the United States, you know that one of the biggest, most important factors in becoming wealthy is selection of spouse. He goes on to list another common cause of failure, intemperance. The most damaging forms of intemperance are connected with eating, strong drink, and sexual activities. 
Overindulgence in any of these is fatal to success. It's interesting that temperance or intemperance are words that our society has almost completely forgotten. When I was younger, for some reason, I seemed to attract a lot of people that were bad hedonists, that just had every vice in the book. And while they were, friend, while they were fun to be friends with, I saw how over time their overindulgence and their complete lack of self-control, how their impulsiveness was really self-destructive and how it put me and other people around them at risk. And at this point in life, I'm quite repulsed by intemperance. So when I meet someone and right away they start telling me about a crazy weekend they had getting drunk and doing blow and having a threesome in Vegas or whatever, whatever it is, that sort of thing I actually find quite repulsive. Now, it's a real sign that this is a person that long-term is not really going to go anywhere good in their life. Invisible counselors. This is something that I think is pretty cool and it can be added to your meditation practice. Every night, over a long period of years, I held an imaginary council meeting with this group whom I called my invisible counselors. The procedure was this. Just before going to sleep at night, I would shut my eyes and see in my imagination this group of men seated with me around my council table. Here, I had not only an opportunity to sit among those whom I considered to be great, but I actually dominated the group by serving as chairman. I now go to my imaginary counselors with every difficult problem which confronts me and my clients. The results are often astounding, although I do not depend entirely on this form of counsel. My invisible counselors would be Donald Trump, Stefan Molyneux, who is uh, one of the most popular living philosophers, and Klaus von Stauffenberg, who is the Nazi that tried to kill Hitler in World War II, portrayed by Tom Cruise in the movie Valkyrie, which you may or may not have seen. Who would your invisible counselors be? On aging, Napoleon Hill recommends that, as opposed to disparaging getting older, we should express gratitude for having reached the age of wisdom and understanding. I totally agree. I've really enjoyed getting older. When I was a quite young man, I had this interesting relationship with a quite wise Korean businesswoman. And she told me one time, she said that getting older only sucks if you're stupid. If you're stupid, you keep getting older, the years keep passing by, and life doesn't get any better, and you become increasingly nostalgic about the past, you become increasingly self-delusional and bitter. But if you're smart, life gets better and better as you get older, and uh, probably been 10 years since she told me that, and I've totally found it to be the case. I said that I think I got more out of this book the first time I read it, and that's because I read it when I was really young, like 18, 19 years old, and it gave me the audacity to do things that were really pretty far outside of the norm. It gave me the audacity to start a really challenging career in 100% commission sales when all of my peers were just starting college. Instead, it gave me the audacity to quit my comfortable job in corporate America and start my own business. And my, my background, I came from a pretty traditional family, pretty traditional background, and it gave me a lot of good things, but it really didn't give me a lot of audacity, boldness, and confidence. And I think that this book planted a seed in me that has really grown into all of that. And if I hadn't had that, I often think that I would have grown up to be really a pretty wimpy 
boring person. Where I see a lot of value in this book is in what I'm gonna call temporal self auditing. So this book contains a number, uh, or it contains a couple of pretty lengthy questionnaires asking some real poignant questions where you really have to look deeply at your inner beliefs, your outer behaviors, and your current position in life. And I think this is uh, really valuable because you write these things down and it creates a, I think, pretty profound snapshot of yourself at that point in time. And then in the future, you can look back and see how your, uh, your inner beliefs and your, your uh, activities, your habits, see how those, these things have, have uh, kind of like interest, how they have accumulated over time to form the, the world that's around you. So the second half of this video is gonna be a little bit more personal as I'm going to answer some of these self-evaluation questions and as I'm reading the questions, you can ask yourself how you would answer them or better yet, go and buy this book and answer them yourself in the book. Let's dive into the first self-analysis questionnaire. First question is, have I attained the goal which I established as my objective for this year? You should work with a definite yearly objective to be attained as part of your major life objective. That would be the public launch of Kabaijo, my proprietary product. And in the middle of that now, by the time you're seeing that, it has probably been completed more or less. So I'm gonna be a little bit generous and say that, yes, I have attained the goal, which was my major objective for this year. Next question. Next question, have I delivered service of the best possible quality of which I was capable or could I have improved any part of this service? No, it could have been, I could have improved the service that I've provided this year. Have I delivered service in the greatest possible quantity of which I was capable? Yes, that I have done. I have maxed out my capacity for quantity this year. Has the spirit of my conduct been harmonious and cooperative at all times? Yes, I'd say so. I haven't had any, any crazy fights with anybody this year. Have I permitted the habit of procrastination to decrease my efficiency? And if so, to what extent? Very little. Have I improved my personality? And if so, in what ways? Yeah, I'd say that I've actually gotten better at paying attention to other people in discussions. I've gotten a little bit better about, about paying attention and uh, being emp em empathetic, empathic. <laughs> okay. Have I been persistent in following my plans through to completion? Yes, I have. Have I reached decisions promptly and definitely on all occasions? No, actually I outsource a fair amount of my decision making and when possible, I uh, ignore non-essential decisions. We only have so much bandwidth for decision making in a day and so I'm all about purposeful procrastination when I can get away with it. Have I permitted any one or more of the six factors to decrease my efficiency? Oh, I'm not sure. Or actually the six basic fears. I'm not sure on that one. Have I been overcautious or undercautious? I've been undercautious. Has my relationship with my associates and work been pleasant or unpleasant? I say it's been very pleasant. Has my have I dissipated any of my energy through lack of concentration of effort? No. Have I been open-minded and tolerant in connection with all subjects? No, I wouldn't say I'm totally open-minded in regards to all subjects. I have some quite strong views on certain subjects. In what way have I improved my ability to render service? Bit general, I would say in researching 
nootropics, the subject matters uh, in which I'm regarded as an expert, in which people come to me for advice. So researching nootropics, researching marketing, researching uh, state of open source technology, uh, reading books about science, biohacking, etc. Have I been intemperate in any of my habits? Yes, I have. What jumps to mind particularly is using my smartphone impulsively. I there's actually there's I, I could really improve in the domain of uh, just opening up my smartphone and browsing when I could be using my time a whole lot more productively. Have I expressed either openly or secretly any form of egotism? Sure, <laughs> of course. Has my conduct toward my associates been such that it has induced them to respect me? I think so. Have my opinions and decisions been based upon guesswork or accuracy of analysis and thought? My opinions and decisions. I think I'm going to say like, like at least three-fourths based upon accuracy and then there is a fair amount of uh, impulsiveness and gut reaction decision making going on. Have I followed the habit of budgeting my time, my expenses, and my income, and have I been conservative in these budgets? No, to be honest, I really don't do that much budgeting. I, I kind of just wing things. There's probably some room for improvement there. How much time have I devoted to unprofitable effort which I might have used to better advantage? Oh boy. What jumps to mind is the time that I spent working on the biohacker meetups. That was certainly uh, unprofitable for me. However, I debate back and forth whether it was a meaningful use of time, to be honest. Okay. How may I rebudget my time and change my habits so I'll be more efficient during the coming year? Uh, pretty clearly, that would be outsourcing more, hiring some employees, spending my time working on my business, not in my business. Have I been guilty of any conduct which has not been approved by my conscience? Sure. What ways have I rendered more service and better service than I was paid to render? I would say that's with the biohacking consultations that I do, specifically with the 25-minute biohacking consultations that I do. Those are free, and my hourly rate, realistically, pretty consistently, I get paid $70 an hour for uh, the work that I do for clients. So I would say 20, spending 25 minutes for, uh, for free or for uh, close to free, is, is a pretty good uh, service that I'm offering. And a lot of times those consultations get stretched out. They end up going 30 minutes, 40 minutes, sometimes longer. If I had been the purchaser of my own services for the year, would I be satisfied with my purchase? Yes, considering the remarkably, remarkably few refunds or complaints that I've gotten. Am I in the right vocation? And if not, why not? Yes, I definitely would say I'm in the right vocation. Has the purchaser of my services been satisfied with the service I have rendered? And if not, why not? Yes, the vast majority of the customers that purchased my products uh, have expressed uh, that they've been really happy, really satisfied with them. And in any the, the minority of cases that they weren't, there were refunds. Okay, next round of self-analysis questions. Do you complain often of feeling bad? And if so, what is the cause? You know what? Actually, I do complain about feeling bad. And more often than not, it's about being overwhelmed with work, about being overworked, or about the issues that I have with my eyes. Do you find fault with other people at the slightest prov provocation? No, I'm pretty good at overlooking stupidity around me. <laughs> Do you frequently make mistakes in your work? And if so, why? Nope, I'm pretty precise in my work. 
Are you sarcastic and offensive in your conversation? You know, actually when I'm bantering or socializing with people, especially like younger people, I'm, I can be fairly sarcastic and offensive from time to time. Do you deliberately avoid the association of anyone? And if so, why? No, not really. Do you suffer frequently with indigestion? No, thanks to the coconuts, my digestion is great. Does life seem futile in the future, hopeless to you? No. Do you like your occupation? Yes. Do you often feel self-pity? No, I would say I'm pretty good at taking personal responsibility for the circumstances that I find myself in. Are you envious of those who excel you? No. To which do you devote the most time? Thinking of success or of failure? Boy, this one's probably 50-50. I, I do think about failure quite a bit. I like to think that I'm optimistic, but I do think about failure quite a bit. Are you gaining or losing self-confidence as you grow older? I would say in general, I'm gaining self-confidence. However, I will say when I was younger, I had a, a certain cockiness that I think was actually pretty beneficial to me. People would often tell me I shouldn't be so cocky, but I never really paid. I, never, I think I got punched in the face a couple of times, and that's, that's like the worst thing that happened. And sometimes I think that I should... Uh, that I should get a little bit of mentorship from the 2008 Jonathan that was so that was so cocky that had so much bravado going on. Okay, do you learn something of value from all mistakes? Probably not all of them. There's certainly some mistakes where I I I, I just move on from them. I'm just about execution, moving on to the next thing. Are you permitting some relative or acquaintance to worry you? Nope. Are you sometimes in the clouds and at other times in the depths of despondency? No, my mood is pretty even. I'm not too happy or too sad most of the time. I'll uh, mention a funny recent anecdote. I was talking to this relatively attractive American girl in a hostel and she was telling me about this ridiculously hedonistic time that she had in Ibiza where she was just crazy nightclubs and parties and drugs and whole nine. And I was thinking about that high level of hedonism and that when she returns to her normal life, she is going to be so bored compared with that, that high level of being in the clouds, right? And uh, I don't really, I don't find myself in a whole lot of situations where I'm on that far end of the uh, emotional stimulatory spectrum, which I think uh, leads to a whole lot more long-term sanity and happiness. Okay, who has the most inspiring influence upon you? That's gotta be Donald Trump. Uh, he's just a really inspiringly powerful example of frame control right now. Do you tolerate negative or discouraging influences which you can avoid? No, I just avoid them. And this is with the possible exception of there's some media I consume like Infowars.com and there's some other places that they uh, really objectively try to address the idiocracy in the world and I have something of a morbid curiosity and that could that could sometimes you know there's there's certainly some negativity that's that's addressed there and I could avoid that but I feel like that would be avoiding what's going on in the world are you careless of your personal appearance yeah, you know what? Actually, there's some room for improvement in this area. I could go to the gym more and I could I could definitely go to the mall as well and I could I could ball out a little bit, get a little bit crazy in the mall, pick up a new wardrobe. My wardrobe is maybe a little tired, although people tell me I'm a fairly 
fairly stylish guy most of the time. Okay, next question. Have you learned how to drown your troubles by being too busy to be annoyed by them? No, I think I'm pretty good about either uh, addressing my challenge or using mindfulness to overcome the stress that they cause me. Well, I'm a very independent thinker, so letting others do my thinking for me is, is so far outside of my life experience. I don't even know what that would be like. And thanks to my meditation practice, I would say that uh, even thinking on autopilot is fairly foreign to me. Next question. Do you neglect internal bathing until auto-intoxication makes you ill-tempered and irritable? Again, no. I do meditation quite frequently, so I think this that addresses that. Next question, how many preventable disturbances annoy you? Well, I would say that the majority of the preventable disturbances that I have to deal with are thanks to my lifestyle as a perpetual traveler and digital nomad. Just all the things that you have to deal with when you're moving to a brand new city every couple of weeks or months. And these are disturbances that could certainly be mitigated if I picked one place to live and then just stayed there for a while. But I suppose that's just kind of the trade-off for the cool lifestyle that I value. Next question. Do you resort to liquor, narcotics, or cigarettes to quiet your nerves? Okay, I don't use liquor or narcotics to quiet my nerves, but I do use Fenibut and Crotum However, these, I, I use them uh, not with a lot of frequency and I, the downsides of them are so minimal that I feel like it's a fairly healthy mechanism for dealing with high nerves at the end of the day. And I also use a whole lot more holistic tools for managing stress. Next question, does anyone nag you? Nope, <laughs> nobody. That's that's one of the one of the advantages to being the lone wolf in life. No wife, no girlfriend, no business partner, no uh, permanent roommate. No one nagging me. Next question: Do you have a definite major purpose? And if so, what is it? And what plan have you for achieving it? My definite major purpose is to become wealthy by creating products, systems, and content that improve people's minds. And I believe this is the best way to fight the idiocracy that we see spreading in the world. I think this is the best way to vanquish the demons of human nature, which even in our day and age of relative peace and security and altruism and charity, we have these demons of human nature that drink cups so full of blood. And I think the best way to fight this is by empowering individual sovereignty on a biological level. Do I have a plan for that in the long term? No. I have lots of short-term plans though. Please stick with me. Next question. Do you suffer from any of the six basic fears? And I think perhaps I suffer from the fear of death. That would explain my transhumanism, wouldn't it? Next question. Have you a method by which you can shield yourself against the negative influence of others. Yes, I'm quite good at ignoring other people and just focusing on my work. This is really one of my strengths. Next question. Do you make deliberate use of auto-suggestion to make your mind positive? Yes. Next question. What do you value most? Your material possessions or your privilege of controlling your own thoughts? Definitely the privilege of controlling my own 
thoughts. I actually come up pretty short in the material possessions department. Next question, are you easily influenced by others against your own judgment? Nope, I'm pretty much a lone wolf in life, so for better or for worse, I'm I'm influenced probably a whole lot less than I do influence than I am inf I influence a whole lot more frequently than I am influenced. Finally was able to spit that out. Has today added anything of value to your stock of knowledge or state of mind? Hard to say. It's actually been a pretty regular day. Next question. Do you face squarely the circumstances which make you unhappy or sidestep the responsibility? You know what I'd say? Face them pretty squarely. Do you analyze all mistakes and failures and try to profit by them, or do you take the attitude that it is not your duty? I probably do not analyze them very deeply, certainly not as deeply as I could because I'm really biased towards novelty and taking action towards new things. Next question, do you analyze all mistakes and failures to try to profit by them, or do you take the attitude that this is not your duty? You know, I do analyze failures and mistakes, but definitely not as deeply as I could because I'm really biased towards novelty, trying new things, doing new things, moving forward. Next question, can you name three of your most damaging weaknesses? Yeah, I can. Say number one is my eyes. I just have really bad eyes. They hurt me in the productivity department, definitely. Number two is my lack of financial planning. This is something that I'm really just not that great at. And then thirdly, I am not that great of a details person. I think back of when I was fired as a banker when I was like 20 years old because I just did not have enough of, a, of an eye for detail. And I guess my hope is that in the future, I'll be wealthy enough that I can deal with these weaknesses by, by hiring. That's, that's one of my major objectives. Next question, do you encourage other people to bring their worries to you for sympathy? No, this is not, so, I'm, I'm not great at this. Please don't bring your worries to me for sympathy. Um, unless, unless you're exchanging it, something of, of mutual, of, uh, an exchange of mutual value where it, where it makes sense. <laughs> okay, next question. Do you choose from your daily experiences, lessons, or influences which aid you in your personal advancement? I don't quite understand this question. I would say I rely on my own experiences the most, and then secondly on like technical education, the technical education that I've received on different topics. Next question, does your presence have a negative influence on other people as a rule? As a rule, almost always I have the opposite. I have a positive influence on people. Next question, which habits of other people annoy you the most? F fucking smokers. That, that is annoying. Smoking is that, there is an annoying habit. Not a lot of habits of other people annoy me. But that one takes a cake. Okay, next question. Do you form your own opinions or permit yourself to be influenced by others? Well, of course other people influence me. Silly question. But I think I'm pretty rigorous about forming my own opinions based upon critical reflections of my own experiences, information, consumption, and listening to opinions from various sources. Like there was a current event that occurred recently, you know, one of these really divisive current events, some terrible morbid thing happening somewhere in the world. So I went and watched documentaries about the event from like uh, three different news services that are quite diametrically opposed to try to get a, a little bit more fair and balanced view of what happened. Next question. Have you learned to create a mental state of mind 
which you can shield yourself against all disparaging influences. Yep, I'd say I'm pretty good at this. Does your occupation inspire you with faith and hope? Absolutely. Are you conscious of possessing spiritual forces of sufficient power to enable you to keep your mind free from all forms of fear? I don't know. That sounds pretty woo-woo to me. Next question. Does your religion help you to keep your mind positive? I don't have a religion, so that's not applicable. Do you feel it your duty to share other people's worries? No, definitely not. Next question. If you believe that birds of a feather flock together, what have you learned about yourself by studying the friends whom you attract? Yes, I do believe this. And the friends I attract, interestingly, are quite different from me. I'd kind of describe them as like, naturals. You've heard that word before. They're usually kind of like guys that things just come to them like naturally, easily. They don't have to work like that hard for the good life, which which I'm I'm like the opposite of that. So is that an opposite attract thing? I don't know. Next question. What connection, if any, do you see between the people with whom you associate most closely and any unhappiness you experience. Not that much of a connection. Next question, could it be possible that some people whom you consider to be a friend is in reality your worst enemy because of his negative influence on your mind? In the past, yes. Now, definitely not. Next question, by what rules do you judge who is helpful and who is damaging to you? Ooh, for this, actually, I'm kind of shallow. And here's why. Unlike the time when this book was written, we live in this age of extreme social abundance, right? Where we have unlimited number of human connections that we can make. So we need to be very judicious with the, with the time that we spend. So I would say I'm actually kind of shallow with this. And I look at what people have done for me recently. That's a fairly substantial, measurable, advantageous thing, to be honest. Next question. Are your intimate associates mentally superior or inferior to you? Intimate associates. It's kind of a cool phrase that's not used elsewhere in the book. Well, I could say that they're mentally inferior to me because I'm almost always on better smart drugs than them. However, I could also say that my intimate associates are mentally superior to me because a lot of them are people that have educations that just put my education to shame. You know, doctors, attorneys, those type of People, really, really impressive. Okay, there was a survey asking about what do you spend your time on? Your occupation, eight to 10 hours daily. Sleep, that comes out to anywhere from six to 10 hours daily. Play and relaxation, that clocks in at anywhere from about two to four hours daily. What about acquiring useful knowledge? And I say as high as four hours daily because a couple times a week I go out to socialize and make friends. So I end up spending like four hours. Probably four hours is, is not that far out of the ordinary, which is, that's, I'm quite privileged. I'm, I'm quite lucky that I can spend four hours a day. Some days, not all days, on play and relaxation. Acquiring useful knowledge, I spend one to two hours a day doing that. What about just plain waste? Well, you know what? I actually probably spend about an hour a day just walking from one place to another, like buying things in stores because I'm a digital nomad and I don't have a car and I am frequently in new cities and I have to go and buy things, find new grocery stores and things like that. I, it's kind of a wasteful use of time, but I'm 
not really sure how to avoid it. And I, I actually do enjoy walking places, getting outside, getting some vitamin D. Okay, who among your acquaintances encourages you the most? That would be the people in my online, that would be the people in my online community, hands down. Who cautions you the most? That would be my dad. Who discourages you the most? That would be fucking YouTube commenters. And people on Reddit, jeez. Helps you most in other ways. That would be my, that'd probably be my mom. She, she really tries to help me whenever, whenever and however she has the opportunity to do so. What is your greatest worry? That would probably be failure in business, just going broke. Next question, when others offer you free unsolicited advice, do you accept it without question? I usually accept it, but I consider the source of the advice and how things are working out for them. What above all else do you desire and how do you intend to acquire it? That would just be adventure and an interesting life. And my plan to acquire this is just to be really biased towards taking risks. Next question, do you change your mind often? If so, why? You know, I try to remain flexible and open to trying new things. So I'd say change my mind fairly, fairly frequently. Next question, do you usually finish everything you begin? Finish everything I begin? No, but I would say that I'm a whole lot better at this than I used to be. Next question, are you easily impressed by other people's business or professional titles, college degrees, or wealth? You know what? <laughs> I'm, I'm a sucker for nice cars. Like people that have really badass cars, I'm impressed with. That's my, that's my Achilles heel. Next question. Are you easily influenced by what other people think or say of you? Yes, if it's a source that I respect, but in general, no. Could not give a fuck. Next question. Do you cater to people because of their social or financial status? Yeah, of course I do. Who doesn't? Whom do you consider to be the greatest person living right now? Ooh, gonna make some enemies with this one. It's gotta be Donald Trump. He's just, he's just putting it all on the line, going, going big. But we could also say people like, some other people that I consider to be really great living people, Alex Jones, Stefan Molyneux, I think are pretty great living people. Okay, next question. In what respect is this person superior to yourself? Gotta be boldness. Just, just, just boldness. That's, that's, on a, that's on a completely different level. And then final question after this long survey. How much time have you devoted to studying and answering these questions? I would say it ended up being about 45 minutes and that concludes my exhaustive review probably one of the most exhaustive reviews that appears on the internet of think and grow rich this book really is a commonality between high performing people that have the life that they want you've probably heard a lot about it you probably heard so much about it at this point that you don't really feel like it's necessary for you to read it, but I would say do it anyways. I've got it linked below. And as always, I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and I look forward to an ongoing conversation with you. Hit the subscribe button wherever it appears now on your screen. series is going to present some cutting edge biohacking techniques and techniques.